Hello and welcome to Tapestry, the podcast of true stories set in the global Sindhi diaspora and it's a fascinating diaspora as you'll soon find out. I'm Saz, my name is Saz Agarwal, I'm a writer and for about the last 10 years I have been interviewing people to hear their stories about Sindh uh people who lived in sin then experienced partition largely and also people in the diaspora around the world and uh for all these years i've been listening i've been reading i've been thinking i've been speaking i've been writing i love this subject and hope you will enjoy the stories as well and hello i'm tarun chakrani um so i'm based out in the UK and I'm one of the Sindhi diaspora that uh, we can actually talk about uh but my roots and my origins are from India originally I've been out of the country for about 20 years but kind of like Saz here I I I don't write about Sindhis I have the odd uh, the odd blog or blurb here or there but you know I've been more of an avid reader of what Saz has to write and and you know that's where we came together in many ways and we'll we'll talk about some of that as well but um yeah I live I live in the UK with two little kids who I'm trying to uh inculcate and bring up in the Sindhi way a little bit but we'll get more into that in a bit uh, so what gave you the idea that we should do this yeah thanks Saz uh, I mean look as i said i've i've been out of the country for about 20 years and you know i had a brief stint uh after my time in the us where i went back to india and by then uh two of my grandparents had already passed away and uh it was two remaining granddads and my grandparents had migrated from what is now Sindh in Pakistan and you know they had taken different routes to make their way to india so my maternal side of my family had routed through colombo and then come back into india whereas my paternal side did the trek uh via ship or boat uh, i don't even know actually to to bombay and you know and then they settled in pune for a bit but back in bombay and again so uh, i i didn't know enough about them and i didn't know where we came from you know how things had had happened uh, as you said it's a very interesting story and then i also happened to you know coincidentally in 2010 come across your book uh, stories from a vanished homeland yeah and i do remember you uh, coming to visit when you came to pune to see your grandfather and that was the first time we met which was really long time ago and since then of course i followed your blogs i read the stuff you wrote and when i got the idea of doing a collection an anthology of essays on the sindhi identity uh, you were of course one of the people i asked and very kindly contributed something really special and i was wondering um whether we could start by you telling us about your taxi driver story in new york yeah that's actually uh one of the stories i talk about in tapestry um you know and by the way if if you haven't read the book or picked it up i would recommend it because there are uh, 60 odd really interesting and uh you know insightful stories with very different perspectives so uh th- thanks to the work sars did during the covid lockdown you know it brought all of this together and there's some really amazing stuff uh in there that you i would i would highly recommend you pick up and read yeah anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast you're going to hear the word tapestry quite a lot because there's a lot in that book and um you know we'll be telling you stuff about 
the, the things that we learned from it and about some of the very lovely essays, including Tarun's, of course. Yep. Thank you. And so, so back in the U.S., I, I mean, I, I used to work in in banking, and there were many a late nights uh, going home, you know, two a.m., three a.m., and I, I'd take a cab back home. Um, on one of my cab rides back, uh, you know, it's it's late. You're probably like half asleep, uh, trying to just get back to bed, and you know, plan for the next day. And I hear um, in the front, in my, uh, my my cab driver say something like "Kiayo," uh, and it's like. At 2 a.m., am I imagining things? Am, am I dreaming? Am I hearing the right words? And I and in the and the he repeats. He's like Kiayo, and I was like, and I I respond back in Sindhi because that is also my natural instinct, right? Like Marty Kiayo, thank Kiayo. And I heard him pause for a second. So for for those of you that don't know, Kiayo means how are you? And and the the response I gave was I'm fine, thank you. How are you? And I think he was as shocked as I was. <laughs> like, you know, who is this guy talking to me at 2 a.m. in Sindhi? And so he he cut his phone call and he, he in Sindhi, he told the other person at the other end, I'll call you back and, you know, just give me a few minutes. And he he's like, did you just respond to me in Sindhi? I said, yeah, did you? Were you asking me? He's like, no, no, I was on the phone. And we got talking and, you know, he talked about, he was a, a Sindhi from currently Pakistan and he, he was talking back to his family in Pakistan at the moment and so I we got into the history and and stuff and you know I told him how my grandparents were from Sindhi and I spoke Sindhi at home and and he's like that's amazing you know I've rarely ever encountered Sindhis and it's amazing to see that you you know uh, kept the language alive and and you know are proud of it uh, and and he went on he was so warm and effusive and he was like when I go back to Pakistan I'm going to invite you you must come you must bring your family to visit so it was all of that and it was at that instant that I started realizing, you know, I know nothing about my family. I don't know where they've come from. And again, as I said, coincidentally, you know, that was the time your book came into my hands and I started reading about it. So I was like, when I go back to India, I'm going to set up a meeting with us to try and get more out of her and see what she's, you know, found. And then I'm also going to dig in with my grandparents, uh, at least my two granddads and get their stories because there's there's nothing there so i don't know what to tell my future generations if they ever ask so that's where the interest came out and then you know as you said Saz, we'll we'll get into tapestry a bit in 2020 you you put this this bit together which yeah. you know brought all the history but there were some very interesting and insightful stories and and you know i, I think in all your research i'm sure you must have come across some some very interesting uh, you know, stories and people you've you've seen or heard about. Yeah, but you know what I wanted to say, I will tell you a lot of stuff that, you know, I've come across really fascinating things. But uh, in, in India, you see Sindhis everywhere. There are lots, you know, everybody knows Sindhis and nobody really thinks that they came from somewhere else because um, they're generally really well integrated. Of course, today, 75 years have passed and there's no reason uh, for the, the community not to be well integrated, but this is an mm -hmm. old story. And the, the thing is that after partition, they were displaced, they were homeless, but they began to adapt really fast. And the, the main story that we see here in India is the story of that uh, adapting to the displacement and the various things that um, go with that. 
which is why i find your story of the taxi driver so fascinating because most of us in india just have no concept at all that there is this other huge population um that are still living in that ancestral homeland and the connections in terms of culture in terms of language in terms of huge emotional uh you know the feeling of belonging it is yep. such a tremendous thing i remember the first time i visited sindh and uh so when was that is that, that is that actually in 2013 in february okay. i just written a book i wrote the book uh sindh stories from a vanished homeland and that book i actually started writing uh with not knowing what was going to happen i was writing a story working with my mother on her memories of childhood she was 13 oh, okay. years old when partition took place and the idea at that time in the middle of 2012 or in early 2012 when we started doing this was to put together a sketchy family history based on her memories and then you know collect photos from maybe her cousins uh and put together a little you know kind of booklet for the family that was right it okay. was but then uh when she started talking to me i uh i'll tell you some of the things she said to me but they absolutely gave me goose flesh and on the second day i realized that this is a huge story it's fascinating it's really important it's an important piece of indian history of world history it's never been done before and i should do it you know i realized i'm not going to restrict myself to my mom's story you know she might it might be an important part of it because that's where i started but then i started interviewing other people also and i was extremely lucky to find uh, a range of people who had different representative experiences you know like not yep. just my mom's family was urban they were fairly uh, you know so she economically uh, fairly well off and uh, educated but then i found people also who were from the rural areas from farms uh, i found people who'd experienced life in the uh, refugee camps the camps yeah, yeah. which was very difficult i found people who had different ways of migrating not just by ship which was quite i mean not uncomfortable yeah uh, although of course it was traumatic i even came across some families who had experienced terrible violence during partition which is not mm. that common in in this among the sindhis right yeah, yeah when you look at the punjab story of partition there's a lot of violence it's a lot right. of barbaric violence and every family experienced it whereas in sindh it wasn't that prevalent um the 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 theme of if you look at the you know story partition um uh, the core theme is of rehabilitation and you know facing uh, building a new life in a very new life basically brave, yeah. brave way yeah uh the other thing that happened to me then was i met nandita bhavnani who is a scholar and she was already working in this field and she was extremely kind she gave me books to read which i would have known where to get because you know i'm not an academic I, and right 
In India, I don't think you have any place where you have a lot of books on this subject, which is what I was looking for. And Anandita just opened up her library to me. She said, take what you want. Uh, she lives in Bombay and I live in Pune. So I was bringing the books back. And then when she visited Pune, she'd bring me books and I'd give her back the old ones. It was just amazing. I could not have done it without her. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, along the way, I knew that I have to do this fast and I'm not going to look for a publisher or anything because of something my mom said to me. Right. And let me tell you this little story. Yeah, so yeah. they are on the ship and there's uh, uh, my grandparents and their um, uh, six children. Uh, one of them, the youngest is a baby and my uh, the eldest is 17. My mom is 13. She's 13 years old. And she's like quite a smart, in the sense that she probably wasn't smart, but she was very, very observant. She told me all kinds of things, which uh, were, you know, they still ring true. Even today, when I read that book, I read it again every two or three years, just to make sure that there's nothing, you know, and I'd, I have very few cringe moments. <laughs> you know, normally when you read something you've written a long time back, there's yep. all that you find embarrassing. But yeah, I feel this book is, and it's all basically the stuff that my mom told me. So it was all authentic. So she says that, you know, she described the ship journey. And then she said that there are two nights on the ship and then they could see the shore of Bombay. So they arrived, but they weren't allowed to disembark. They were told you have to stay on the ship another night. Ah, and okay. Nobody knew why. Nobody knew. And there was some apprehension because the time, it was such a troubled time. They did not know what was going to happen to them. What if we get sent back? You know, we've packed right. up, closed up everything and we've left. What if they send us back? Or what if they send us somewhere else? You know, what if they send us here in Bombay? There's someone waiting for us. What mm -hmm. if they send us somewhere else? What are we going to do? So it was scary. And they stayed on board for two extra nights. And it was so scary to think of that. And then she says to me, then the boat docked and it was the 14th of November. So that... So were they waiting for Children's Day? <laughs> yeah, I think Children's Day came later. This was, you know, 14th of November, 1947. Nehru was still alive. Chacha so. Nehru uh, was celebrating his birthday for sure. But I think the Children's Day thing came in a bit later. But the fact that she remembered the date really blew my mind. And uh, the 14th of November was like about two, two or three months away when, when I heard this. And I said, OK, I'm going to do this book and it'll be launched on the 14th of November. And Aww. I'm going to call all my mom's cousins, all her siblings, everyone, all these cousins who she's been telling me about, whom I've never met. Oh, really? Yeah, they were so close in Sindh. They were just part of the same family. But after partition, they were scattered. Everybody led their right. lives. And yeah, when they met, there was a lot of affection. And, you know, that family attachment was there. Those feelings remained. But there was not really much. I mean, I had not. I, I, my brother and I were boarding school, right? So we, we right, didn't okay. much. You know, we didn't, didn't have much contact. You didn't with see the family. family. Yeah, we lived in another place. You know, this many of them were in Bombay. 
and we we lived in uh, in another place so we'd visit once you know we'd spend a month with my nana nani and it was a fabulous yeah. month because it was really nice it was lovely you know what it's like living I'm in sure that. grandparents are, are the best to visit <laughs> yeah and cousins and you know so that we really enjoyed but we didn't know i mean you know some of them like my mom's best friend and uh, cousin and okay there were two brothers married to two sisters which is also quite common among sindhi families you know the big mm-hmm. families so uh, two brothers married two sisters so my mom's cousin laji she i'd heard the name so often i don't think i'd ever met her or maybe you know she may have seen me when i was baby or something but anyway they all came and we had this big bash at the i mean not big bash but a medium sized smallish bash at the yacht club in bombay on the 14th of november and uh, a few of my friends were there as well and uh, then it was we were so lucky that the book got picked up by the oxford university press in pakistan right okay and we wow okay to launch it at the karachi uh, literature festival in february 2013 which is a few months later So that's how we first went to Sindh. And ah, okay. uh, you know, so that's the thing where for us uh you so I'm not I'm not from a Sindhi, you know, I didn't grow up listening to Sindhi being spoken at home. Yep. Except in my grandparents' home. Uh my grandmother would speak to us in Hindi, my grandfather would speak to us in English, but this why, why do you think that is? Was it a case of we don't want the language to to proliferate like we don't want many people to know it or are we ashamed of it or would we rather just you know assimilate with what other people are speaking we i always got the feeling and i i now that i think about it like it was spoken within the environment you know home environment but yeah. we never went outside and spoke the language and yeah. and and that's why like i'm one of the few people in my family of my generation that can speak and after me i don't think anyone will be speaking no, this language no you're so so lucky tarun you have no idea how many people say to me oh i wish i had taken the trouble to learn when i had a chance oh i wish I had taught my children or insisted that they learn so you're truly blessed that you have the language it's it's a special language why they didn't speak uh you know one can only conjecture but for me it's a very emotional thing i mean the reason is an emotional one because partly yes parents wanted to uh give their children a, a better chance in the new world where sindhi was uh an unknown language Correct. a peculiar language which sounds that nobody had ever heard and that's one reason but if i'm looking at our family where my grandmom was talking to me in in english i mean mm-hmm. and my grandfather talking to me and they talking to each other in sindhi but mm-hmm. and they're talking to their children who were born in sindh in sindhi correct yeah i think that you know it's more about you're never going to understand you're never going to understand where we come from what we lost you know right that's the way i see it i know it's like sounds a little dramatic but that's the way i see it it's they didn't speak to us because we they believed that we just couldn't understand we'd never shown any interest we never asked them anything so they just you know kept it to themselves and I Or was it also a case of not wanting to relive everything they've been through? Was possibly, it too, you know, too painful to, to bring all of that up. 
or what they'd lost, putting the putting the uh, loss and the trauma aside, that could be it as well. Most Sindhis, and you know, education is highly valued, and they've given so much importance. And I'm sure we'll get to that in one we of talk, our future. We'll have a lot episodes. to say about Sindhis and education. But and it always amazed me that they. They never gave their own language that much importance, which which now in hindsight, like, is like maybe that was too short sighted on their part because we're we're sort of seeing the death of this language in a way. You know, I don't think they were using any vision or strategy. They were just responding in a natural way, and every family did it. I mean, there were very few families who didn't do it. I think a bunch of the families that didn't do it were those who were already living in other countries. They already had a base in other countries, right? Okay. And they had the language with them there because they that's you know when they were still connected to Sindh. They mm-hmm. had their trade outposts in ports around the world. Correct. And Another topic we'll cover. Long I'm sure. before partition, and yeah, we're going to definitely cover this in at least one or maybe two podcasts. It's something everybody knew about in Sindh, in Hyderabad, because there was money coming in from all around the world. Correct. But it was only documented as late as 1999, 2000, and that by a French researcher, Claude Markowitz. So it, it did finally get documented, but it was done by Claude Markowitz. And um, that's when the this global, fascinating global diaspora in, in the ports around the world just, you know, got uh, its tiny little moment of glory. But yeah, we will definitely be talking about how that came into existence and uh, how those separate Sindhi communities are coping, how they are connected to each other. And that's definitely going to be something that we must talk about. But coming back to the language, you know, there was an essay by Rita Kothari in Sindhi Tapestry. Mm-hmm. She she wrote something really fabulous. But one of the things that I wanted to say she talked about was in a New York drawing room where she heard the language spoken by Sindhis uh, from Sindh and the feeling that it gave her that she was at home. And that's what made me realize, and it's something that w- was, it was this huge epiphany that Sindhi is a language that for us, you never hear it spoken on the streets. Yeah, you correct. only hear it spoken in the homes of family. Yes. And therefore, when you hear it spoken, you feel like you're in a familiar place. There is a sense of comfort. That yeah. that cab ride home was so... Com- it's probably the most comfortable cab ride I've ever taken, even though the cab was probably a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's what, you know, you were asking about uh, my the first time I visited Sindh, and that's what happened. You arrive and uh, at the immigration, there are people talking in Sindhi, and then, you know, people greet you uh, and there's so much warmth and affection. It changed my life, actually. It just mm-hmm. made me realize, uh, you know, a little bit about who I am. And uh, I, I was interviewed by somebody when he asked me what it felt like. And I said to him, it's like looking into the mirror for the first time. That's how I felt. I mean, you know, it did feel like that. You know, when you I see can, something familiar and something, you know, you just get that feeling that, yeah, I know you. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's amazing right because what i've i've always yes the language is the comforting part but they've also brought other traditions and things with them that you know at least our grandparents tried to carry forward the kind of food we cooked at home you know the 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 little bits of key phrases and the mannerisms that they probably had back home there that they tried to implement here so there was all of that and then I wrote about this a little bit, the lifestyle, right? Like live life, king size, the the famous Johnny Walker. Because Johnny I, mean, I always remember, you know, my grandparents hosting big parties, welcoming their extended families. And, you know, beyond the extended families, we didn't have a big flat by any means. But in that flat, there at times would be 50 people. And you didn't even know who they were. But I always remember my granddad saying, we came from nothing. We had nothing. Today, we have everything. I'd love to share it with as many people as I can. And I'll just tell you a, a very another anecdote that I had in London. Of all the places, on my dentist chair, I think, again, I wrote about this in, in Tapestry yeah. as well. But on yeah. on the dentist chair, the, the, the dentist, she's Eastern European. She was, I think she was from Romania or Bulgaria or something. And she tells me, she's like, your name is very interesting. Are you Cindy by any means? And I said, yes, I, I actually uh-huh. am. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you know. She said, yeah, the A and I last bit. So my last name is Sakrani. So she's like, I got that. And, you know, it's interesting to see that you're you're here in London. And I know so many Cindy's here. I'm not surprised you know Cindy's in London because <laughs> it's it's almost full of them. And and she's like, oh, but I know them. Why? Because they throw the best parties ever and they have the most whiskey ever. And, you know, they really know how to live their life. And I think that's the part that, you know, resonated with me that, okay, the language and the culture, but also just this mannerism of just living life to the fullest was was prevalent. And so many people have benefited and know about it. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so, that's really a very positive uh, representation of the community, you know. And, and I is, think it also showed that they were able to assimilate. And, you know, as you said, the diaspora had been around for a long time and they were able to assimilate and, you know, mingle and, and sort of befriend all these other communities and welcome them into their homes way before, you know, it was common to travel or or live in different parts of the world. I think I read and an I article. Think because, sorry, uh, I was going to say, I think because partly Sindh has been the crossroads of trade with a lot of people from different parts of the world passing through. Uh, so that exposure to uh, global communities was there since historic times. Yeah. But yeah, carry on, you were saying. And, uh, you know, you, the, the point you mentioned, the the money coming back into Hyderabad from different parts of the world, right? Like, I think a few days ago, there was an article in one of the Indian papers talking about $100 billion of remittances coming into India the first time ever. I was like, you don't know anything about it. The Sindhis have been doing it for more than, you know, hundreds of years, probably. Because yeah. I, I, I did come across uh, the the... Uh, Claude's work previously where he talked about, you know, all these traders sending money back or bringing the money back and things. So it was interesting to read that in a way history has come, you know, full circle, but the Sindhis have been doing this for ages. Yeah, really. Uh, It's sad that the Indian economy after independence didn't uh, take more note of, you know, the Sindhi experience of global business because that might have been better for the economy you know, the way we grew. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, of 
like the the ship ride and and the economy and everything you know who was like the most interesting person you came across in your research and you know your studies and who helped all these Sindhis yeah. come into India and settle down in many ways. I right. think there were key, few key people there. The most fascinating person I came across uh, in my research is Bhai Pratap. And yeah. uh, he kind of uh, uh, fits uh, whatever you, 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 you know, you, you wanted me to talk about somebody who did all this and uh, he kind of fits all that. Uh, oddly enough, I had heard the name Bhai Pratap ever since I was quite young because he was a friend of my grandfather's. I had no idea of the stature of this man, um, but I um, I just assumed that he was my grandfather's friend. And when uh, my mom told me about how he had helped her family uh, resettle because they left Sindh, and they came to Bombay with nothing, but not nothing because my grandfather had a job with Bhai Pratap. So they knew they were right, going okay. down. He was a lawyer and he'd been a fairly prominent lawyer in Sindh. And in fact, that's one of the things that fascinated my, me about my mom's story because she remembered some of his high profile cases. And, you know, oh, that wow. Okay. Me, yeah. Uh, that, that made me think about um, so how. So Jade Malani was following famous, foot, following famous footsteps. <laughs> in fact, they probably knew each other because Jait, I mean, they, of course they knew each other. There's no probably about that. Jait Malani was younger than my grandfather. But then, you know, he as a, uh, my grandfather was already in his 40s. Where, uh, he must be in early 40s when partition took place. Whereas Jait Malani was still in his 20s. But it oh, was okay. Jait Malani who fought some really important cases for the Sindhi community. He was the young and upcoming lawyer. And after partition, there were uh, some cases which he fought. And this is going to be something that we'll be talking about in a future podcast. Because, you know, when we talk about um, how the refugees were so-called refugees. I mean, you know, when you use the word mm -hmm. refugee, you're actually talking about a stateless person, right? Yep, correct. Whereas Sindhis were in their own country. They were in a country that they had given so much to in so many different ways, including in their contribution to the freedom movement. Yep. So uh, it's totally, you know, um, really unfair to call them refugees at all. But yeah, at some point when we talk about uh, what happened to them as refugees, Ramjit Malani is definitely part of it. Again, when we talk about the language, just now we were talking about how the language died away because families didn't use it. In mm -hmm. fact, the state had a big role to play there as well because uh, when the Indian constitution was written, Sindhi was not an Initially, Indian. yeah, correct. Not, yeah, so there again, uh, you know, when we, we, we do our podcast, which focuses more on language, we can talk about Ramjet Malani's contribution and uh, how... It's, it's so bizarre. They didn't put the language, but they kept Punjab, Sindh, Gujarat, Maratha in the national anthem, which is, is really bizarre. I find that whole, you know, there was a, complete disconnect yeah. between the two sides of it. I, I know one was composed by... Well, it's a by poem, it's a poem yeah. by Tagore. So, you know, what you're going to do? Are you going to uh, censor it? Uh, in fact, um, I feel I was at the Bangalore Lit Fest recently and, uh, you know, talking about my new book, Losing mm -hmm. Home, Finding Home. And I was being interviewed by Senthil Chengalwaran, who is a very well-known TV anchor in India. Uh, he was one of the 
first and uh, the most famous uh, TV anchor. Uh, and uh, we had a really fab session. It was totally ad hoc, very organic, a lot of audience participation and, you know, very relaxed. Right. And so somebody made this point. He said, you know, I said, I don't think synth should be in the national anthem. And uh, he said that he was he was a, a, somebody senior in the army. We didn't get who exactly he was, but he said, I had a subordinate who said, no, we have to. I mean, you know, we are Sindhis and we are part of India and we've contributed and we have to be. But, you know, my response to that would be like this. Just think about who you are and where you come from. You have your native place, right? Great. So you have your native place. And one day that native place is no longer a part of your country. It's taken over by another country and you have to leave. Now, are you going to still be from that place or not? You know, anyone who thinks about their ancestral home, most of them, for most of them, they have access to it. For most yeah, of them, it's part right. of the country. But what happens if that's taken away from you? Are you ever going to say that's not my home anymore? No. <laughs> So, you know, it's a very strong thing to put yourself in somebody's place and understand what happened before you say, let's take sin out right. of the national anthem. I'm saying that, you know, people say that Sindhis contributed so much. They contributed before partition. They contributed to the freedom movement. They contributed to the economy of India. And after partition, they did tremendous contributions in so many different sectors. But that's not the only reason. The reason is that the land is still their homeland. Nothing yeah. can take that away. Correct. I mean, the Sindhi comes from Sindh, so you can't really take that away anyway. Yeah, and then people also say that the word India itself comes from the Sindhu River. Yes, right? correct. So, you know, the that's something which Sindhis like to think about and feel like, yeah, yeah, we are actually really important to this country because uh, we come from the land of the Sindhu and that's what India is all about. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to one one thing you've repeated a few times. It's like the contribution of Sindhis to, yeah. you know, part to the freedom movement, to, you know, post-freedom uh, and post-partition India and everything else in between. As as students who grew up in in sort of you know post independence India, never really ever saw any real contributions of Sindhis. Pai Pratap is one name you mentioned, but nobody's never ever heard came, of him. Never came no, up in history. Nobody's and, heard know. of him. The biggest achievement that he made, which is Kandla Port, which is. Uh, a free trade zone, which is something he understood because he was a global businessman. In, in, in the mid-1960s, he introduced a free trade zone, the first in, uh, I think it's the first in Asia, if I'm not mistaken, but definitely the first in our, our area yep. of the world. He, nobody ever gives him the credit for doing that, although it actually was him. If you look for, uh, if you look at, there's no public document pertaining to Kandla Port which has the name of this person who actually uh, envisioned it. He's, he, he's the person who brought in the engineers who built it. 
which is incredible, right? And I think it's one of the biggest sports in the world today. So yeah. the fact that he did that, the fact that, he, as you said, you know, he helped so many families, including your own family, yeah. to, to settle in. A lot more than that. We can talk about uh, the city that he built. I mean, it's usually... Uh, kings uh, who built cities. He was an ordinary citizen. He built a city. So we will definitely talk more about that. But about Sindhi's contribution to India, I think, um, I don't know why. I think the education, the contribution in terms of education in Bombay, I think that has been noticed in a kind of grudging way because because there are so many schools and colleges which actually yep. came out of the refugee camps, which were... You and I went to one each as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were at... Uh, HR. HR. I was at Jaihin. Jaihin, yep. Yeah. Which, so these are colleges that came out of um, the refugee camps. They were built by the refugees. And uh, yeah, they are among the most, um, the best known colleges in Bombay. So... Uh, the, but they only they were uh, they were started they were not built for the Sindhis they were built yep. for everyone and everyone had an equal right to them it took many years you know at some point the Sindhis said hey listen we you know probably about 40 or 50 years after the colleges had been built there were Sindhis who said hey we built these why don't we get any benefit you know the uh, other institutions give benefits to the the the, uh, the founders. Yep. So there was this gentleman called Nari Gurshahani, who I never knew him. I've only heard this story about how he campaigned for years and years and years. He campaigned to get a Sindhi minority status for these institutions. Wow, okay. it's, it's ridiculous, you know, to think that they were built by the Sindhis who had nothing. Uh, it's ridiculous to think that Sindhis are so maligned in, in India as being... It's incredible. Ruthless. It's, it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> and then when they want minority status, that becomes for their institutions, for the institutions they were. Even that became a battle. So why, you know, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know what why it happened, but you know, this is this is part of the Sindhi story. It's quite interesting that uh, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not somebody to comment on it. We need we need somebody else who can yeah. understand these things. But they, these are the facts that you know you and I see and wonder about. Hey, I walked into HR college under the Sindhi quota, even though I didn't really need it. But I do remember, you know, as you said, much maligned, like a lot of my friends said, ah, but you don't need to study. You get into a college with, you know, the Sindhi quota benefit. And again, I think, uh, you know, going back to your tapestry collection, somebody uh, had written a story. I don't remember the, the name, but there was this uh, topic about the snake and the Sindhi. And, you know, even as a kid growing up, I, I remember it often coming up, uh, you know, whether it was a snake or some other uh, reference to an, another animal you didn't like, it was always like between the two, who would you choose? And it's just no, like, I think the standard thing is if you see a Sindhi and a snake, who should you kill first? Correct. And it's, uh, there are, I think, three of the uh, tapestry essays mention the snake and uh, uh, that kind of tells you how, and I've heard this in other countries as well. Like, you know, I visited Gibraltar with my first book in October, 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really fabulous to see that street 
with Sindhi shops, which first started coming up in 1860. Have yeah. you been there? No, I haven't, but I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Pohumal, uh, 1860. Uh, so I... Uh, gave a talk and there were about 80 people in the audience and this gentleman at the end of it you know when we were chatting he got up and he said you know I want to tell you something and he said when i was young i thought all indians were sindhi so everybody laughed but then you know it's true because in gibraltar when he was a child all the indians were sindhi everyone was a sindhi yeah. yeah so then but then gibraltar's a british uh, territory so Correct. and he says well then i went to uni in london and there i met indians from other places i met indians from maharashtra i met indians from gujarat from delhi and then they said to me oh you're a sindhi when you see a sindhi or a snake who should you kill first and when he said that everybody burst out laughing again is <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fairly common i think most sindhis have grown up with that story or that reference of some yeah. kind with them but again it it shows that even probably as late as the you know 80s this this vision or this thing yeah. existed in society whether in hidden undertones or not so hidden undertones that you know maybe sindhis are not that welcome here or they're too successful for their own good in many ways Well, it's so hard to understand the basis of the prejudice because when you start thinking about it, you know, every stereotype, every caricature is based in some kind of reality, right? So, right. Uh, you know, this impression comes from people who are, uh, you know, the 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 kind of people who you want to stay away from but to to say that everybody's like that is uh, is completely not true and it's so far from being true um because there's a huge majority which are actually different mm-hmm. i know when i was a kid i wasn't that happy with you know this being even though it was only half sindhi because of the reputation you know if you're a sindhi then people kind of look at you askance yes then when i started writing about when i started thinking about it i realized i had my own grandparents and they were exactly the opposite you know of like you, if you think that sindhis are like loud flashy uh, scheming overweight you know <laughs> they were just the opposite they were exactly the opposite <laughs> all these four points there may be more so but that didn't convince me right i knew them i knew they were sindhi but i still thought that oh yeah everybody thinks sindhi is like this is sindhi must be like that so i don't know how these impressions are formed and uh, i have to tell you another thing i met father rudy heredia who's professor at st xavier's college uh, mm-hmm. after i wrote my first book and he read it so you know i i wanted to ask him a few things and we were just chatting and i said to him oh you know sindhi and the snake and he was like yeah yeah when i was a kid they used to be if you see a brahmin or a snake who should you kill anyway but it's it's all right like it I think Sindhis have grown up and they've become a, a resilient bunch thanks to everything they've seen. But yeah, so like I said, you know, they laughed when he said that uh, um, I thought all Indians were Sindhi because that's funny. Yep. And then he said that uh, you know, if you see a Sindhi or a snake, who should you kill? And that they found hilarious as well. So Yeah. <laughs> It's fine, you know. We we are we're okay with it. We can deal with it. Yeah. Exactly. Good. So I think uh it's been an amazing uh 
series. I think uh, we're we're kicking this off. It's been exciting. We've covered so many topics in about an hour, but I know we have you know so many more to come. We've touched on things we will cover in in the com- uh, coming episodes. People will pro- potentially and probably have. And then, of course, you know, if you're listening into this, if you have other recommendations or thoughts, I think you should send them in to to let us know where uh, and who you'd like to listen in on these podcasts, because SARS probably has this hidden treasure trove of, uh, you know, guests that she can bring on that she's seen in her research and time. You know, uh, it's uh, actually I'm so lucky that I've met so many amazing people on this journey. And uh, like I said, Nandita Bhavnani, uh, you know, started it off. And then um, when, when you write and you speak and then people invite you to a conference, you meet other people. And also when you're, when you're looking for people to interview, you meet the most fascinating people. So I think that's what happened with Cindy Tapestry, that book which kind of saved my life during the lockdown. <laughs> A lot <laughs> because, of people's lives. <laughs> yeah, I just I got the idea of doing this, and then I put out word, and the quality of what I received from fifty nine people. I was of course the sixtieth. Uh, so the uh, you know to to write to contribute to that anthology. Everybody wrote so well and so meaningfully and so many different aspects of the Sindhi identity. So, and, and that book has done quite well. It's used as a source of research. There's a. I see it back there. I think the red and blue one in case anyone's right. looking. There's a Delhi University PhD, uh, Delhi University MPhil thesis, uh, which was. Uh, yeah, which used this as a source. Wow, and okay. also Dr. Maya Kimlani David, she is a professor at the University of Malaysia, who she contributed to this book also. But she wrote a paper on language which was uh, you you which used this as one of her major sources of research. So yeah, it's in the libraries and uh, it's also uh, you know com- uh, commonly easily available on Amazon. We'll get some of the experts from that book on on the podcast over the next few episodes we'll probably be dropping an episode every week for you to listen to it the plan for Saz and me is to spend the next few weeks recording these getting the right people on covering all the relevant topics and then you know having you subscribe to spotify or apple podcasts or wherever else you listen to this and you know join us on our fun journey discovering uh you know the tapestry and the diaspora that it's in these Thank you. Thank you for listening and look forward to having you listen again soon. Bye. Thanks, Art. Take care. Bye.